This episode of Bat Chat is brought to you by the Joseph Rogers Gentleman's Pipe Smoker's Knife with a polished stainless steel easy grip blade for safely cleaning the pipe's bowl, a tamper for packing tobacco, and a spike for cleaning your pipe shank. The Joseph Rogers Gentleman's Pipe Smoker's Knife is the one indispensable tool for pipe smokers. With its brass linings, nickel bolsters, and real wooden inlays, it's sure to look great in your pocket as well. The Joseph Rogers Gentleman's Pipe Smoker's Knife. Don't be caught drowning to death in a shipping container without one. Matt Lazowitz, and welcome to this week's episode of Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast, where each week my co-host Will Nevin and I dig into three Batman stories, discuss them, and rank them on our big board, thus creating a giant list of Batman stories from best to worst. Will, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. You know, I put so much work in that cold open, I've got nothing here. Not a goddamn thing. That is a valid answer because stunning work as ever. Ah, Ah, uh, I, I did research for that. I Googled hard. That's a real smoker's knife. And that'll make sense to all of you when we get to story number two, if you haven't been reading along. We're, we're, we're kind of calling an audible on this week's episode. Hopefully by the time I do the edit on the previous episode, I'll have figured out the best way to chop something out and replace it with something else. So you won't realize that we had a completely different episode planned for this week. But if I haven't figured that out yet, you'll still hear something there about Batman and Power Rings, which is a story we're going to be doing in a couple weeks. But as of this recording, we are less than a week out from the passing of one of the great Batman artists, a Batman artist we've talked about on this show multiple times before. And so we wanted to take this episode and we wanted to go back to said artist. Tonight, we're reading three of the stories by Tim Sale that we haven't touched yet. This is a tragedy for comic book art. And listen, it's a tragedy for his family, for his friends. Obviously, I'm not diminishing the loss of a person to the people in their lives at all. But Sale was 66 he wasn't old and he had years of work, things we could have seen him do. And it, it's always sad when you lose that potential. It's always sad when anyone passes, but you know, I'm, I'm trying not to minimize anything, but it's hard. Absolutely. And you get the sense from one of our stories tonight that he had more stories in the works that some of them I think are just going to have to go untold and your mind always starts to wander you know, what are we going to miss out on? But that loss is nothing compared to what his family and friends are feeling right now. I think I talked about this in the print column that came out the day after uh, his passing was made public. But I met Tim Sale once at New York Comic Con. He was tabling and he had all these books and things. He was like, you bought a book, he would do a quick you know, sketch in your sketchbook or in the book. And I have a sketchbook that I've talked about quite a few times before of various artists doing Batman or Batman adjacent characters. And I bought a weird little, it wasn't a pamphlet. It was you know, fully bound. It was like a short story with Tim Sale art, a, a Christmas noir type thing. And he was like, so what would you like me to draw? And in the book, I was like, in my sketchbook. And he's like, what character? Like, well, Batman characters. Like, uh, he was kind of like, you know, wasn't sure who because he'd drawn everybody. So I was like, well, how about Scarecrow? Because he had such a distinct that that long angular Scarecrow. And since he was just going to do a head, and he just took a paintbrush, the ink wash, and it was you know half a dozen strokes on the page, and it was like the Scarecrow just came to life out of that. It's always been one of my favorite sketches, and I'm. Especially glad that I have it now, that I have this story. He was gracious. He was appreciative of everyone who was there. It was great. But now I think it's probably time to get into our first story. Let's do it. This week is going to be a little weird on this first one. 
as this first story is not terribly much a Batman story. There is a Batman bit in it, but it's not all Batman. And I think we're going to talk about the entire book because talking about eight pages of Batman in this one book would not a good episode segment. Our first book is Solo Number One with pencils and inks by Tim Sale, written by Tim Sale, Darwin Cook, Jeff Loeb, Diane Schultz, and Brian Azzarello, colored by Dave Stewart, lettered by Richard Starkings, and edited by Mark Chiarello and Michael Siglain. Cover date is December 2004. Designed as a spotlight for DC's most accomplished artists, the Solo series is an anthology The first issue began with a spotlight on Tim Sale, including stories featuring Batman, Superman, Supergirl, and a couple of noirs and a single touching tribute to Sale's parents. Solo was a fascinating project. Uh, We will eventually get around to doing a couple more of these because there are others in this artist spotlight series that had Batman stories. Damon Scott, who did Batgirl for a long time, had a a spotlight issue and there's a Batgirl and I believe a Batman story in there. Mike Allred had an issue. I don't remember if there was a Batman in there. Paul Pope, I know had, had an issue and it's, it's been a long time and I'm sort of not saying the, the final name, the one issue that I know we will definitely do, uh, which is a Darwin Cook issue that will definitely be touched on sometime. But Sale was issue one. Sale was how they started this series. And the first story in it is a Batman story. I think we'll kind of go through each story one by one and sort of discuss it. And this, again, will be a sort of weird thing because there is very little Batman in here. But the first story in here is very much a Batman story. This is Date Night with a K. This one is written by the aforementioned Darwin Cook. A lot of the stories in here are kind of tug at your heartstrings or very dark. This is Darwin Cook having some fun and letting Tim Sale play. Cook and Sale did work together in a similar fashion in another book in Superman Confidential, which was the Superman equivalent of Batman Confidential, which was the latter-day Legends of the Dark Knight type book. But the first arc on Superman Confidential was a story called Kryptonite, which was a Cook-Sale joint. I don't know if this is the highlight of the book, but this one is certainly a ton of fun. And as opposed to a lot of other stories that we've done over time where I'm usually working off of notes. I actually have two screens set up and I have that issue of Solo up on the second screen since we're going to be talking a lot more about art in this than we often do. And especially in this book, this is a Bruce and Selena story. This is Selena just having fun. She's robbing a place. She's not really robbing. She's just trying to get Bruce's attention and the two of them having a date as only Bruce and Selena can. I'll just start out with just kind of my overall impression of, of the whole thing. And this, and this struck me as I was starting to read the story. What just a master craftsman. And and you, you, you get a better sense of this as you go from story to story, but they all look different. It's amazing how how much range and variety in these stories there are, not just not just in the tone, but the visual flavor of it. But yeah, this first story is absolutely fun. And this is a very mean thing to say, but it's like it's it's the sort of thing that Tom King would fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) This is a widescreen story. A lot of this is two page spreads, some of which are just a two page spread, some of which have little inset panels Widescreen storytelling got a bad name in the early aughts with things like The Authority and all of these books that were bombastic and gigantic. But this is widescreen and sales art. Just he takes these 
big two-page spreads of Selena and Bruce almost dancing. There are two that specifically caught my eye of these spreads. One, as they're crashing into the restaurant, everyone in the restaurant has an expression. They are reacting in real time. And one of the things I notice and appreciate first with good art is the detail work that goes into it. I think so many people, if they were going to do this, they would, ah, fuck it. I can't, I can't draw all of these faces. That's too much work. But everyone in the restaurant is reacting and it's a crowded restaurant. Like I love an artist who is basically taking this time to show off. This is what I can do. This is the pride that I have in my craft. And just the whole scene is just so, so lively. And you've got perfect layouts as it goes from the small inset to this big, big, beautiful two-page panel as they're breaking through the window. And then you've got the smaller insets with Catwoman catching a shrimp on the way out. It's, again, it's beautiful. And then the very next spread as they are tucking and rolling onto this uh, rooftop, like it's just beautiful, beautiful work. And the, the final page is a single splash of Bruce's face with lipstick from Selena having kissed him after she sort of left him a little bit tied up with her whip. The look, the sort of sour, straight-faced Bruce is just perfect. If Sale is known for drawing any character moving forward, it's going to be his Batman run. He's did you know all of the color miniseries with Loeb for Marvel. He did various you know, issues of this and that and the other thing. But his Batman is what he'll be remembered for. And this little story just shows how well he knows that character. The second story is called Christina. This one, again, as Will said, you know, different styles. This is uh, written by Sale as well and is prose over panels. It's just narration, narrative prose. And it's all splashes and three panel grids of different shapes and sizes and little bits of these two people as they walk along a beach. And it has this noir twist to it, but it's melancholy. And I like it. It has a very... I think it's easy to overuse the phrase noir, but especially in this case, as it's black and sort of yellow or sepia, there is a noir to it. There is that blackness and there is a crime in it. And you have some of the more you know, noirish tropes of being in debt and working off the debt and uh, hitman type stuff. It's really refreshing to see this in a DC book coming right after a Batman Catwoman story. This doesn't have anything to do with capes and tights, right? It's just a, a really just an adult little story put in there. The next story sort of almost flips the other way from the darkness into one that, again, has a touch, more than a touch of melancholy to it. But is sweeter in its bitterness. Young Love, Diana Schultz writing. Schultz had worked with Sale before on a Grendel miniseries called Devil's Child, featuring the life of Stacey Palumbo, Grendel's ward after the death of the original Grendel, Hunter Rose. But this is not that dark story. This is Supergirl. And the story of Supergirl's first love and the tragedy of finding someone and eventually losing someone. The thing that makes this such a winner, and it's similar to something you said earlier, Will, about the facial expressions in the restaurant. Sale sells every moment of this story with the looks on the faces of Kara and Richard, her first love. It also is colored very interestingly. So thanks to Jose Villarubia, 
who I missed that the I missed the various colorists. I thought it was Dave Stewart all the way through, but apparently I was incorrect because Sale himself colored Christina, and I was incorrect. Dave Stewart also colored this one. Uh, that's what you get for skimping on the credits. Uh, where are you looking at the credits for this, by the way, since they're not in here? The DC wiki. I brought up the page because it doesn't have the title page. It's, it's strange that they didn't include the title page on Infinite. I was a little worried that it didn't have all of the stories either. But no, all six of them are there. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm reading this from the, the Comixology Digital. It's the same way. Not, mm. not a shred of credits. Yeah, it's strange. That's why I had to go and go to the wiki because I knew that they didn't credit writers in here, but I knew that Darwin Cook wrote one of them and I couldn't remember if it was Supergirl or the Batman one, but it was the Batman one. This is Diana Schultz. This is a tale of love and loss. And it's, again, handled in a very mature manner. It's a very tug at your heartstrings without being saccharine. Yeah, and it and it hits in an idea that we don't often see. You know, in the DC universe, I'm just going to say that both Supergirl and Superman are effectively immortal, right? Yeah. More more or less. But because time doesn't ever advance in the DC universe, like we never see Batman growing old. We never see Batman dying. And this is this is not a new idea in fiction, but part of the curse of being immortal is watching everyone you have ever known grow sick and old and die. And that gets at this, that sees, or this story sees Supergirl dealing with that loss. And it's, it's a different sort of story than what we normally get. And on top of it, not only is it their immortality, it's the fact that they're Superman and Supergirl. They can stop anything, but you can't punch cancer. God damn it, sure wish I could. The colors on this, which are Dave Stewart, having double-checked that, are really interesting. They give this a sort of older Silver Age washed look that really works for the story that it's telling the next story this one is the one colored by jose villarubia is prom night this is a sort of between the pages of Loban sales superman for all seasons we're going to get to another story by him but i guess time to drop the problematic creator watch here jeff Loeb. Still, as far as we know, a racist. But Superman for All Seasons was the Loeb and Sale collaboration with Superman. It was a Superman's early days story. And this is Clark going to the prom with Lana Lang. That's Clark on his way to the prom and stopping along the way to help someone who is not grateful for his help. A crotchety ass old woman. Yep. The equivalent of the woman from the Wizard of Oz who would become the Wicked Witch when you go over to Oz. This has some really beautiful art when after Clark is covered in mud, he flies up and goes high enough that there's water and rain. You watch him as the Martha's narration. He just decided that he wasn't going to be late for Lana and probably gave a new meaning to drip dry. He's surrounded by this water. It's stunning to look at. And it gets at the heart of what it means to be Superman. Clark does the right thing for the right reason. And you know he doesn't regret having helped the woman who's not grateful for him. He does what he needs to. And then he goes to the soda shop and meets Lana, and it ends on a photo of the two of them, a panel that is drawn as a photo that's in a black and white photo out of Martha Kent's scrapbook. Again, it's, it's a tug at your heartstrings without being too much, but it tugs at different heartstrings than the previous story did. It's always nice to see a character 
rewarded for doing the right thing. Like we don't, we don't have to see Clark's agony as he has to miss the prom or has to show up and disappoint Lana. Like it's, it's nice to see just stuff work out sometimes. Yeah. Especially because the next story uh, things, things don't work out for the next story, especially because the character there doesn't deserve it. This is low card in the hole. This is a full sale art team on this one. And it's a Brian Azzarello story. So this one again is a noir and again is mostly in limited color. It's blues and blacks and whites with just a touch of red for the femme fatale. And this is again, it's another hitman, And we get a little twist in this one. We get, you know, okay, we're going to spoil it because again, this is a seven, 18 year old comic and this is an eight page story. So guess what? What starts out looking like this hitman who is just doing his job is instead caught in hell. This is one of those, you're seeing him get his eternal punishment. And at the beginning, he comments on his least favorite color being gray. And by the end, it's gone from at least there being some color to everything just being gray on the final panel. It's a great use of color. This is a real good twist on uh, something like Long Black Veil. Yes. Or um, ever see, there's an episode of The Twilight Zone where this guy dies committing a robbery and he winds up in the afterlife and he's given everything he wants and in the end he's he's getting bored with it and he's like okay well you know i'm gonna rob a place and the, the his concierge and the afterlife well certainly i'll call ahead so they're waiting. He's like no, no i want the challenge <laughs> he's like no no that's not how things work here and like, wait a minute how does he i'll ask him for it this is heaven whoever said this was heaven <laughs> boom uh, that reminds me of uh, of a night gallery episode where uh, it's all of these hippie stoner burnouts and they are sitting around with uh, people sharing uh, like vacation slides and they're having a great time. But the hippies are like, no, it's terrible. <laughs> hey, sorry. It's, it's their heaven. Not great for you. Hell is other people. <laughs> But yeah, this was this was a beautiful story. I love the use of color. Obviously, you get that great twist as a, oh, oh, she's been dead this whole time. Oh, and he's dead too. And the, the resolution and just a, a fun Twilight Zone-esque trip. Kid, there's just so much variety in this one book. And our final story is I concentrate on you. This entire story, except the letters, are by Tim Sale, written, penciled, inked, and colored. And it's only three pages, and it's done in a limited palette, and it's just three pages about Tim Sale's parents, about how they met, and about them being together, and about them growing old together. And it's just sweet. Again, you, you see ups and downs in it as anyone you've been with for what seems to be at least 40, if not more years. But there, there's smiles and there's tears and there's dancing and it's lovely. And recording this three days after Father's Day, it gets you. It's them sort of thinking back after 50 years of marriage about their first kiss. And you see, you, you, you had to think about this for a second and it's not all laid out there on the text. It's not all laid out there at the page, uh, but you have a panel of, of his mother crying. And then a couple of panels later, because it was the way I, I always thought it should be. It was sweet. That's why their first kiss. Why did, why did you cry when our, when we first kissed? And then the panel after that is, I can't believe it's taken you 50 years to ask. I mean, summing up the, the love of, of a lifetime in three pages. Yeah. Again, 
master craftsman. There would have been other possible stories that we could have done for this episode, but I wanted this one very specifically, this issue, because I could think of no better spotlight for Tim Sale as a craftsman than this issue of Solo. Those of you out there who know your Batman canon might be wondering why we aren't hitting any of the Legends of the Dark Knight Halloween specials. This year's Halloween is going to be all three of those. The three stories will be the three Loeb and Sale Legends of the Dark Knight Halloween specials. Because why the hell not, right? But I think we've, we've hit each story, so... That means it's time to put solo number one on the big board. We are at, oh, doctor, a total of 129 stories on our big board. Story number one is Batman Year One from Batman Volume One, numbers 404 to 407. Number 25 is Batman 66, The Lost Episode. Number 50 is Half an Evil, the story where Two-Face needs to learn to smash and grab from Batman Volume 1, number 234. And wouldn't you know it, coming in at 69, it's Catwoman win in Rome. Another Loeb and Sail joint. Down at number 75 is I Am Batman Begins from I Am Batman, numbers 0 through 3. Down at number 100 is Last Chance from Batman Gotham Adventures number six. And down at the bottom at 129, we're talking White Knight. This is a tricky one to rank because of 48 pages of content, there is only eight pages of Batman content. So we're... And again, I mean, they're they're fun Batman pages, but they're not Batman pages that are indispensable. They're not Long Halloween or Dark Victory. I'm not saying this is where this goes, but I'll say I think there's more Batman in those eight pages than there is in New Frontier. That's true. Just putting it out there. You make a valid point in the we can't necessarily rank something based entirely on its Batman-ness. But yeah, this, this can't top new frontier i mean there's still so many books that are so important to batman but i mean i don't think this can make the top 25 probably cracks the top 50 yeah i mean just as an example of the art form it is stunningly good okay Um, here's here's a here's a question and again this is a there might be more batman in those eight pages 34 is For the Man Who Has Everything, Superman Volume 1, Annual Number 11. Again, if you're looking at a a comic that is important, a comic that does something really interesting, that might be a better example of a comic. But especially if we're looking at these in a Batman way, there's more to the Batman in those eight pages than there is in the Batman in For the Man Who Has Everything. You get that playful banter between him and Selena. Yes. So I'm going to say as a starting point above that. Then I think we've got a fairly limited range because I'm not sure. I actually think we might be within one or two spots of where it goes because I don't think it can beat Demon's Quest at 32, the first Rachel Ghoul story. That's a foundational Batman story that introduces one of the great bat rogues of all time it's a really cool really exciting story that puts it as either 33 or 34 the current 33 is only takes a night which is another batman catwoman story but this is the bruce wayne and selena story the ed brubaker and sean phillips one-off where they go on a date so there's actually a lot of parallels here between this and that all right in terms of Batman content, you get more of it in Catwoman 32, Only Takes a Night. In terms of displaying what comics can do, what a big two comic can do as art, this is a stronger book. I'm going to leave it to you whether we're going to, how we're going to come down on this particular issue. 
as much as I love that Catwoman issue, and I really love that Catwoman issue, I agree. We have to take that into consideration. And so I think this is our new 33. Good for me. Yeah, I think we will have the opportunity for more Brubaker and Phillips someday that will probably wind up higher if I remember Gotham Noir properly. But it's been a long time, so we'll have to see on that one. Our next story is The Misfits. This is Batman Shadow of the Bat, numbers seven through nine. Uh, the writer is Alan Grant with pencils and inks by Tim Sale. Colors by Adrienne Roy. Letters by Todd Klein and Bill Oakley. Uh, no editor was credited in the book or on the wiki, but I would have to imagine that Denny O'Neill was involved as this was towards the period where O'Neill was the master editor of the Bat titles. Uh, the cover dates are December of 1992 through February of 1993. When Chancer, a novice supercriminal, arrives in Gotham, he winds up throwing in with three of Batman's lesser rogues to pull off an audacious scheme, the kidnapping of Gotham's mayor, police commissioner, and its first son, Bruce Wayne. This is early in the run of Shadow of the Bat. This is early in the run of Tim Sale on Batman. This is not Sale working with Jeff Loeb, but instead with Alan Grant, one of the principal architects of Batman in the 90s. We've read some Grant before with A Clash of Symbols, the Batman Joker story, and Mad Men Across the Water, uh, which was another book he did with, oh, guess who? Tim Sale. This is a, a little caper story with four loser supervillains trying to make a big score. Certainly with some uh, golden age sensibilities, it seems. Yeah. None of these three villains were villains who made it into the modern comics in these incarnations. This is Chancer's only appearance as far as I can remember. I don't remember him ever popping up again. Whoa. Or his his Zdarsky, get on it. (laughs) Yeah. Or his nemesis, Nimrod the Hunter. But uh, the three other guys, Killer Moth, Catman, and Calendar Man, when they enter comics in the mid to late 90s or after, are very different characters. Killer Moth remains kind of a joke, even when he gets turned into a giant moth monster called Caraxes after Underworld Unleashed. Catman becomes kind of a badass, thanks to Gail Simone in Secret Six, And we'll get to Calendar Man in a little bit. Will we ever? But yeah, I I liked Chancer as a concept. Just this guy who's just really lucky. uh, Reminded me, obviously, of of Domino. Yeah, I mean, not much to dislike in this story. It's silly. It's got good action. It, It reads well. It's fun to watch these losers come up with a plot so ambitious to take the commissioner, the mayor, and Bruce Wayne all at the same time, and then for the mayor to be such a sniveling little whiner. Within the past month, this is our second story with Armand Kral, and he doesn't get any any better the more you read this guy. This is after Blades, but before the Legends of the Dark Knight Halloween specials. So we are still in sales developing as a Batman artist, period. He he inks himself here. He usually inks himself. And it's still good looking, but it's not what we just saw in Solo. It's not what we're going to see in those Legends Halloween specials. It's not what we see in Long Halloween. But it's fun. Grant does a great job of Bruce having to be Bruce Wayne while also using some Batman skills. And sort of trying to pull it off. And it's another one of those instances where it's like, okay, Jim Gordon obviously freaking knows he's Batman. Jim Gordon is too smart to be in these situations and not have put two and two together on this one. We'll get to that in Injustice. I, I know we will, as I'm sure it's elsewhere in the canon too. Again, this, this doesn't go all the way golden age, right? Because you don't have the, the, the internal narration, the thought bubbles of Bruce like, Okay, I have to I have to hide my true skills. I have to pretend to be uh, you know, some playboy waif, but then I also don't want us to die. I think the golden age would have been a bit sillier with that, but it 
plays it more or less straightforward. Two of our villains are very late gold, silver age in the way they're acting. Both Calendar Man and Catman, they just want to make their money. They want to, you know, do the kidnapping, get the money and get out of Dodge. Killer Moth, on the other hand, is living up to his name in this story. He's planning a double cross and he just dunks the victims. They're in a shipping crate, shipping container, a rail car type thing. And he's just like, yeah, they're witnesses. So while they don't know, I'm just going to put this thing into low water that is going to rise with the tide and they're going to drown. Oh, well. Look, Matt, if you're going to crime, you want to tie up loose ends. Killer Moth has quite a history with trying to kidnap Bruce Wayne and it never goes well. The first Barbara Gordon Batgirl story is Killer Moth trying to kidnap Bruce Wayne. Only there, Barbara, who's going to a masquerade as a Batgirl, gets involved and stops him. So take that, Killer Moth. You've been beaten by every member of the Bat family. Again, these, these losers, they're just, they're too ambitious. You don't just kidnap the one, right? You know, you don't, you don't need all three of them. I will say there was what felt like some pacing problems in the last issue, both the fact that we see, okay, you know, they're drowning, they're in the, this car, the water is rising, Robin shows up, Bruce is fighting with the rail car, the, the, the door underwater, Tim dives in, then we cut to another scene, and when we come back, we're seeing them get out of the water. We don't actually see what Bruce and Tim did to get them out of the water. So it feels like, okay, either Grant didn't know exactly how he was going to pull that off or he had too much he needed to do. And so that got cut to further the final fight scene between Batman and the Misfits. Quick question. When was the first... Lobe sale collaboration. The first lobe sale collaboration is a mini series featuring our old favorites from the New Frontier, the Challengers of the Unknown. It was a 10 issue mini series that has been traded since then under the title The Challengers of the Unknown Must Die, which was what's a, what's a pain is it wasn't traded for years and years after, it wasn't traded for the first time until 2004, which was probably at least 12 years after it was originally published. The first Batman collaboration was the end of 1993. That was the Legends of the Dark Knight Halloween special, trying to find a publication date on Challenges of the Unknown Must Die. 91. Ah, it was an eight. I don't know. You finished. It was an eight issue miniseries published from March of October of 81 cover dates. Anyway, I asked because I just noticed as I was leaping through this final issue, uh, a little background detail, Sammy Loeb's deli. Sam Loeb was uh, Loeb's son who passed in Aww. the early 2000s of uh, leukemia, I believe, or some form of childhood cancer. Oh, yeah. But the other thing that I found weird about the pacing of this book is the final two pages are just like, hey, and here's the origin of Nimrod the Hunter, this guy in an invisibility suit that has been hunting Chancer. It's like, yeah, didn't care. Yeah. Really weird to throw that in there at the end. Right. It was kind of like, you know, we, A, we could have fit that in earlier and it didn't need to be a two page flashback. It could have been like, you already kind of figured out that this guy had been arrested because you knew that Nimrod was an escaped convict. It's like you knew he was arrested for a crime that Chancer committed. We didn't need this detailed flashback and it could have given us those two pages or at least a page to see, you know, Tim and Bruce figuring out how to get out of that submerged storage car. Also, cause I like sticking it to uh Brits and uh, other foreign white guys who dare to write Batman. I don't think Grant uses the word kidnap right here. Like there are a couple of instances where Batman's talking about my, or Bruce is talking about my kidnap insurers. Like he uses kidnap where it should be kidnapping or kidnapped. It struck me as weird. And I couldn't, I couldn't prove that it was an English thing, but I feel 
like it's an English thing. You dirty Scotsman. <laughs> there are a couple of others too. Various people call Gordon Chief. Ah, that In- did come up. Including one of the other police. You know, if it were just Killer Moth saying it, which I think he does, or one of the misfits, like, okay, their being's kind of derisive. But one of the other cops calling Gordon Chief, that seemed off. And the other one that left me a bit like, okay, that's got to be an English thing. When they're in the car and Bruce is like, empty out your pockets. We need to see what we have. Kral says that he has a pocketbook, which can be an English thing for a wallet. But at least Kral had the hair gel. Yes. Oh, I love that Bruce is MacGyvering his way out of this thing. That, That was great watching him, you know, like, okay, we've got the smoker's knife sponsor of the night and <laughs> the hair gel and, and like all these other things like, okay, I like seeing Batman have to work with what he's got on hand. It's not and, always, I've got a million gadgets. And also people who aren't dirty Scotsmen would just say a pocket knife. Like, yeah, Gordon, Gordon smokes a pipe. Yes. He would carry a smoker's knife, but guess what? That ad copy I read developed from a UK brand. It's again, just being a dirty Scotsman. This is one of the few times, if maybe the only time I can think of, at least off the top of my head, where we see Sale draw Tim Drake. And I like his Robin. I like his Tim Drake. I like the way he draws the costume. I've never been terribly in love with the high spike Tim Drake hair that we get from this period is he draws it this way. So does Tom Lyle who drew the three Robin miniseries that led into the Tim Drake ongoing, but it's certainly stylish and it makes him look very distinct from Dick Grayson or Jason Todd when he's out of costume. I guess it's punk Drake. Yeah. He, he had that hair in this, some of this period. And it's just, it's, it's a different look. Also, an interesting timestamp of the early 90s, Crawl is making big political hay about Gotham's first AIDS charity week, which is a very early 90s bit of storytelling. Not that AIDS isn't still a problem, not that AIDS wasn't a problem for many years after, but the first AIDS charity of Gotham and how we need to fight it with this and that. It's, it's very of its time. And, and it's a very specific moment, right? It's, it's a few years into the AIDS crisis where you can talk about it in respectable circles. Yes, we're after the, the point where AIDS was quote unquote gay cancer. But back to, you know, less real world issues about how we often suck as society. Um, Oh, and we do suck. Oh, we do. I love Chancer's baton as his weapon. It makes a lot of sense to give a luck-based hero or villain a weapon like that because you chuck the thing and it's about bounces. It's about how it hits. And if you're lucky, it happens to hit just right every time. And if it doesn't hit your guy, it hits something else that's going to hit your guy. You know, the, the possibilities there, limitless. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm not saying I'm going to miss, that I miss the fact that Chancer never popped up again, but he had a neat design. He looked like a Silver Age villain in this sort of dice motif. Yes, you know, nope, never appeared again. But, you know, there are so many other Batman villains I guess I can completely understand why this particular one fell by the wayside. Strangely enough, does appear right about the same time as Domino. Everybody wanted to be lucky in the 90s. <laughs> Don't know if I have much else. It, it, it's always cool to see uh, Sarah Essen back and her hatred of Gotham at this point and her comment about how there are no happy endings in Gotham sadly foreshadows her eventual fate. And Catman had a panther. He had a panther named Sasha who winds up, you know, throwing down with Tim Drake and Ace the Bat Hound. 
the post-crisis English Mastiff Ace the Bat Hound, not the pre-crisis or post-flashpoint German Shepherd Ace the Bat Hound. One other thing that I absolutely loved is at the beginning of the, towards the beginning of the story, Batman is internally monologuing about how Harold, his tech guy, has found a way to get the Batcave computer to be able to connect to the Batmobile and how novel that is. <laughs> I think I've talked about this on this show. I know I've talked about it on WMQ. One thing that I absolutely remember laughing my ass off about it, kind of at myself, was in 2004 or 2005. So I remember I read it the entire run in a summer shortly before I met Amber. So it had to be 04 or 05 since we met in summer of 06. Um, I'm reading Denny O'Neill and Dennis Cowan's The Question, which was from the very early 90s. And there's a whole scene where Aristotle Roeder taught The Question's tech guy, his advisor, his confidant, is describing to him this thing called the internet. And I'm laughing. It's like, how, why do you need to explain this? I'm like, oh, shit. It's 1991. You do need to explain <laughs> Uh, see, it's this cool thing that's going to enable people from all over the globe to talk and communicate at vastly different and unimaginable speeds. And it's also going to be the downfall of civilization. It's great. Revolutionized by the porn industry because all technological accomplishments wind up being revolutionized by the porn industry. Internet is for porn. Uh, do you have anything else, Will? I've gone to Avenue Q lyrics, so that means I'm out. So that means it's time with Batman, Shadow of the Bat, the Misfits on the big board. This falls firmly in the middle of the list. Yeah. So that means top 65. Yeah. So I think right around that 65-ish area. Uh, I'm trying to see where else we have fun, but not world-shaking. You got Going Sane right there at 63. Yeah. And when in Rome now at 70, another sale. Our sad fallen son, Judgment on Gotham at 72. Poor, poor baby. Yeah. Uh, I think this is this is somewhere in the, I, I put it a little lower than that. I think this is somewhere in the, the 70s. I think it's somewhere in the mid to low 70s. All right. I'm going to let you make the decision on this one. 79 is Blades. Another sale. Uh, My baby. Is this better than Blades? It's a more developed story, but you do have some of the same themes. Like there's not, there's not the, the sad, tragic romance that you have in Blades, but it's still these same kind of, you know, loser characters. Not to say that the Cavalier is a loser, but, you know, he doesn't get a lot of love and attention. No version um, of the Cavalier does. <laughs> After Blades, you get into stuff that just doesn't work, right? Death and the Maidens, Living Hell. Um, stuff that has a fl- at least a flaw to it. Yeah. Because some of these things, Batman and Son generally works, but, you know, you hate Damien. <laughs> so That's that- true. That's true. Look, you, you can put it on the tombstone. You know, Will Nevin, he hated Damien. Yeah. I think from 80 down, 80 down to around 99 is still good, but has a flaw. After 99, around 100, you start getting into deeply flawed territory. So this is, this is above living hell. Probably above death in the maiden. Yeah. Is it above Blades? It's somewhere in between when in Rome and Blades. We're, we're looking at Tim Sale work. All right. We got a couple of stories in here that are there just because the art is terrible. Injustice at 74 and I Am Batman at 76. They are only this low because the art is wretched. Yes. Um, in the Gotham Villains 80th Anniversary Giant is fun, but it's slight. And it's kind of all over the place. Uh, Speaking of all over the place, and just to have an interruption, what about the news that we're going to get more Batman the Audio Adventures in comic book form? Isn't that cool? I'm very excited. Artist on this, Anthony Marquez, is a personal friend, owner of Dewey's Comic City and the Cooper School. How fucking cool is that? 
He's worked, uh, he's appeared on WMQ, I think three times now, hoping for a fourth around the time of audio adventure, or, you know, maybe I'll talk to Anthony and see if he wants to talk about some of his favorite Batman stories. Fingers crossed. Just on the strength of the art, I think we have to go above Injustice. I'm going to say above Blades only because we've got more of a story here. It's just quantity and maybe not quality. Okay. How about above the villain's 80th anniversary blow judgment on Gotham, making it our new 70. Perfect. Perfect. Sounds good. So our new number 73 is the misfits. And our final story of the night is nightmares. This is the Batman, the long Halloween special. Number one, Uh, the writer is Jeff Loeb pencils and inks by Tim sale colors by Brennan Wagner. Letters by Richard Starkings, editor Ben Abernathy, with a cover date of December 2021. A year after the events of Dark Victory, Calendar Man is committing a series of birthstone-related robberies, Gilda Dent has returned to Harvey, and Batman must make a devil's bargain to protect innocent lives when the two villains clash. This is a recent, I mean, December of 2021 as a cover date means October as a release date. Which, long Halloween, makes sense. Absolutely. This story is sort of a hat on a hat. Yeah, we're, we're clearly getting diminishing returns from Long Halloween. It's not terrible by any stretch of the imagination, but it's... Looks great. It looks gorgeous. And props to colorist Brennan Wagner, because he does a great job on this book. But it doesn't really change what we know about Long Halloween. It adds a little bit to the mythos, but it doesn't really affect anything terribly much. Yeah, if if you could imagine a third chapter in this story, everything in this, what is it, 50-odd pages could have been summed up in a handful. It almost feels like it was setting up a bigger story. There are hints of bigger things. This opening with what I assume is Gilda in Nantucket that isn't really explained. Gilda and Harvey being back together. It feels like this was setting that up, that we needed to see how Gilda and Harvey came back together for whatever... Loban Sale had planned for the next bigger story. I don't think they could have done something like when in Rome with Gilda. That that seems impossible. Yeah, no. The art is the highlight of this story. It feels appropriate to wrap up this episode with Tim Sale's final major bat work. And he draws the hell out of this. I like the Robin here. The the Robin costume is a slight variant on what you'd expect. The cape clasps are are different. The shoulders are wider. The the stitching across the breast is a little bit bigger and more developed. It's neat. And it's him playing with the normal costume and having some fun with it. I also like, I like all the Robin stuff here. I like that Jim asks... Bruce to, or Batman, to bring Robin trick-or-treating with Babs. And he winds up doing it. And it's just, it's fun. And this is probably the last story that will ever use the post-crisis retcon. Babs is Jim's niece slash adopted daughter versus his biological daughter, which was restored after the crisis or after Flashpoint. What a confusing little wrinkle that can be. Well, that's uh, that's Frank Miller because he didn't have Babs in year one. So how could he suddenly have Babs? Like, oh, he's Jim's niece who he had to adopt after his brother and sister-in-law died in a car accident. And then Devin Grayson tried to retcon in that she's actually Jim's biological daughter because Jim was in a relationship with this woman before 
his brother stole her from him before he met Barbara Keene. Yeah, it was a whole fairly needless retcon that Gotham Knights run where Grayson did some cool stuff with some of these, these retcons, like giving Alfred and Leslie Tompkins something of a romantic history. That one I liked. This one less so. I will say in terms of story elements, I really did like, this is strange to say, uh, I really did like Gilda's inclusion and especially her madness. Gilda and Harvey playing house. You see Harvey in the sewer trying to pretend he's got like a little office and Solomon Grundy can work his door. And, you know, there's some part of his brain that thinks he's still a professional. But to see Gilda just so cheerfully playing house with a killer just like she is it was really something to see possibly my favorite bit of art in this book is their reunion because you see them reunite and them embrace and the page is focused on harvey's left side the scarred side but you see his handsome face reflected in a mirror. So you're actually seeing both sides of his face despite him being in profile. It's a brilliant bit of art on sales part. Again, just, just a masterful job. I like the use of the bat signal where Two-Face needs to reach out to Bruce after Calendar Man kidnaps Gilda and he bisects the bat signal. So it's only half the signal. It's a great use of Harvey's madness and his obsession. And you said uh, Starkings here did the lettering? Yeah. Good lettering. You don't have to get too complicated when you're doing you know, the, the two va- uh, Two-Face side. It's just a little bit scratchier. Don't monkey with the colors. It's still readable. But it's just that slight little hint. Oh, this is Two-Face talking. Kudos for that. And in the end, we are, you know, the near end, the climax of the story, from that bat signal moment, we get Bruce and Harvey having to work together again to stop Calendar Man and to save Gilda. And as with The Long Halloween, it doesn't work out in Bruce's favor in the long run. Harvey betrays him. Harvey has Gilda back and he just takes off with her after massacring most of Calendar Man's thugs and losing Grundy. The death of this iteration of Solomon Grundy before he grows again in Slaughter Swamp is sad because this was a Grundy who was one of the nobler Grundys. He, he willingly sacrifices himself to protect Harvey and Gilda. The, the final twist bit of Batman taking Harvey's place and depending on Robin to help him stop Calendar Man is fun. It's especially because of earlier on where Bruce wasn't ready to bring Dick out, which of course has a lot to do with the specter of Harvey Dent and the long Halloween and dark victory and the loss of Harvey you got to think that we're now five years out, four years out from Long Halloween. Because Long Halloween starts on a Halloween. Then you have the next Halloween where Harvey kills the Roman. Then the Halloween of Dark Victory, the first Halloween of Dark Victory is a year after that. And then the final Halloween of Dark Victory is a year after that. And now this is another Halloween the year after that. So we've traveled quite a bit into Batman's present, quote unquote, by this point. I'm not so sure you could make a believable Two-Face mask. No. It seems tricky. Yeah, it's it would require a lot of makeup or CG. It's not something where a mask is going to work. I mean, not, not CG, but, you know, some sort of holographic whatever some kind of weird future tech yeah if you've got uh if you got dark man mask material uh or if you got uh, mission impossible mask material you could do it otherwise i'm not so sure yeah because getting it to move properly especially the mangled part of the mouth 
I can't picture a mask. But, you know, this is the DC universe. Latex masks technology is far beyond that of this world. Ah, don't you know it. And I guess probably addressing the big elephant in the room, this more or less ends on a cliffhanger. This ends on a the end for now. And I cannot imagine Loeb doing another long Halloween story without sale. No. And I would not want to read it. The only way it would work would be as a tribute slash fundraiser for sales family. And you do it as a jam. You get a bunch of different artists to do a couple of pages. It's not trying to ape sale. It's not trying to replace sale with a different artist. It's a celebration of Tim sale. Yeah, I could see that working. And it would only work in that respect as a tribute. It wouldn't be the next chapter. Loeb would have to write something that wraps up this world in that book. And it would have to probably be under, you know, a sale cover or something that, you know, a leftover piece of art that hadn't been published yet. Because you'd need something from sale in there to make it feel a piece with everything else. That sort of charity idea aside, I'm just kind of content to let this one rest, I think. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I, I know you weren't certainly arguing with, for another one. But, uh, you know, some series, I want more. I wish there was more. Southern Bastards, for example. Uh, I wish you could do Jason Aaron and cut, you know, Latour and have that story continue. I would be okay with that, but that's that's not going to happen. That's not in this world or any other world. Now, I'm sure you've got a book that you'd like to see continue, but... Uh, Southern Bastards one... is pretty high up there for me, too. <laughs> I, I'd like to see the... And this one actually might be happening if various things... Ha- the... Uh, Conclusion of uh, Gaiman and Buckingham's Miracle Man. Hmm. I'd like to see how that wrapped up. And I know there's some talk of some of that coming in the new Miracle Man Zero. I think that popped up somewhere in solicitations today um, in the the news. But I'm trying to think if there's other canceled or lost books. There has to be other things from Image that you know, lost their artists or something and we never got the resolution. And it's it, none of them are, of course, coming to mind. And I'm sure the minute we end this recording, I was like, oh, well, there was that, and there was that, and there was that, and there was that, and there was that. But for now, Southern Bastards is a very good choice. But yeah, I think that this is a good place for the final long-form Tim Sale story to have been. It's it's a return to Batman. It's a return to a collaboration with the writer he is best known for working with. And while we might have some quibbles with the necessity of the story, the art is certainly top notch. Oh, oh, is it ever? It's just, it keeps getting better. Yeah. I think that that's probably about it. That means it's time to put Batman, the long Halloween special on the big board. In between, this is one's in between the other two. Yeah, I think so. Probably in the 40s or 50s. I think Bloodstorm at 42 is a good comparison Mm. as just an example of a world that's kind of getting played out, a story that is not perfect but it's still a satisfying on some level read. Yeah. I think Bloodstorm is probably a little better. Yeah. I I think there's some big crazy ideas there that I rather like. I think it is better than Batman, the spirit at 52, another lobe written stuff. As much as I love Darwin cook and I, you know, I love Darwin cook. There's more to this book than that. Absolutely. So we're in between 42 and 52. So that's a nice spot. But here's my, my initial bid. While the art is better here by leaps and bounds, Blood Secrets at 47 has a considerably better story. That's the, that's a Mark Wade story, right? Yes. The young Bruce and Harvey Harris. I'm going to come down here every year to make you think (laughs) about what you did. 
So I think we're now, I think we're between 47 and 52. I think this is better than last week's cold case, though, the Mr. Freeze serial killer story. So I think we're narrowing it even further there. If you agree, I'm willing to. I, 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 I do agree. It's, so, it's, too, it's too late in the evening for vociferous disagreements, Matt. Okay. So 48 is my beginning and my probable end. The Bruce and Leslie Tompkins talk about Bruce's history while Jason Todd fights for his life. And 49 is Where Were You the Night Batman Was Killed, which is a delightful trifle. I think I would be inclined to put this at 50, but I would hear any other argument. No, I think... You are right. I think 50 is the right spot for this. So that does it for tonight. Next week, Comics XF writer Robert Secundus joins us to talk about three stories with Batman and religion. Bobby Two Bucks coming on to the show. Going to be a good night. We'd like to thank our Patreon backers. Dan Grote, June, conduit of outdated joke names. June, come on already. Joshua Wheel, Abigail Hartbaum. Asimov Fangirl, Tony Thornley, Sam Hopper, Kyle Still, Christian Smith, and John Wickham for their support. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Batchat Comics, and the show is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music slash Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes drop every Thursday. You can support the podcast on Patreon, where you can get shout outs, bonus content, pick a story, and even come on the show. If you want to hear more of my ramblings, mostly about the three C's, comics, cinema, and cats, you can follow me on Twitter at MattLaz1013. And I'm at Will Nevin, and I'm also out of here. Good night, Huntsville. And be sure to visit ComicsXF at ComicsXF.com or at ComicsXF on Twitter for our weekly Friday Bat Chat roundup of new Bat books. For my other show, WMQ&A, where my longtime best friend Dan Grote and I interview comics creators, retailers, publishers, journalists, and other related tradespeople as well as all the other stuff Will and I are writing. And stay safe out there, folks. Gotham is not a place to be after dark.